This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Guys, we have just come out of the courtroom and what a morning it has been. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thanks for being with us. We are live at the courthouse here at Colleton County. I want you to hear the first thing this morning, how the whole session got kicked off. Take a listen to our cut nine. A few days ago, I received a complaint from a member of the public indicating that a juror had engaged in um, improper conversations with um, parties not associated with the case. Juror denied discussing the case with anyone not on the jury or with anyone on the jury. Uh, She provided information that led us to contact um, the persons that she uh, was suspected of having conversations with concerning the case. Uh, Those individuals were interviewed um, and provided an affidavit regarding the contact that the jury had, juror had with them, uh, not Uh, suggesting that you intentionally did anything wrong uh, but that in order to preserve the integrity of the process and in fairness to all the parties involved uh, we're going to replace you with one of the other jurors. You just heard sound of the judge dismissing a juror. Uh, guys, with me an all-star panel to make sense of what's happening in the courtroom right now. Straight out to Eric Bland, high-profile lawyer who represented the Satterfield family. Eric, I can't hear you, but I hope you can hear me. What do you make of the judge throwing off the juror? Um, the reason is because the juror disregarded his directive. He told the jury in the beginning when they took their oath that they have to listen to him, that they cannot make up their minds, 
that they cannot begin to deliberate before he releases the evidence and the case to them after he charges them on the law. And this juror obviously made some comments to someone that would indicate that that oath was in jeopardy. And maybe that there were other jurors who complained that possibly that juror had in fact was trying to infect the jury room. This is a very serious thing. Uh, both sides want to have a full and fair opportunity to present their cases. And the judge was left with no choice. Eric Bland has been one thing after the next with the jury. Uh, I got word yesterday from a source that's been in the courthouse with me that said two jurors were actually having words. In fact, yes, one juror said to the other, the F you will. Okay, I don't know which two jurors said that, but that did happen. I mean, what are they arguing about? Their lunch order? I, well, if they're arguing we're, we're, before they even begin deliberations, that's a bad sign. Well, it is a bad sign, and it's going to show that there is... Uh, some hard feelings that probably developed when you have this group of different people being put in a room and they can't get to know each other by talking about the case. And then people develop factions where two people start to be close with two people and then another group of people. I think this is a portend to what this jury is going to do. I think we're going to see smoke and fireworks from that jury room. I don't think we're going to hear peace and quiet. Um, I have some legitimate concerns when you have a six week trial and there is this strong feelings. Look, I'm, I'm shaking right now, Nancy. I just heard some of the best oratorial lawyering by John Metters. I mean, that was from the heart. Okay. I got to tell you something, Bland. John Metters gave what I consider to be the best summation we have heard. Uh, I want you I to agree. hear some of that. Let's start with cut 21, Christine. Cut 21. Now, remember, you had the state's closing argument, but in this jurisdiction, like many, many others, the majority, actually, in our country, the state has the burden of proof. So the state begins closing arguments, closing argument number one. The defense comes second. And then the state has a final closing argument. They get the last word in nearly every criminal case unless the defendant puts up no evidence other than his or her own testimony. That did not fit in this category. So Matters got the last closing argument and he made the most of it. Take a listen to our cut 21. I don't know why he killed his wife and son. I don't have to say why. I think he did it to protect the one he loved the most. The one he really loved the most. So he could keep his lifestyle. And not be embarrassed financially. And he wanted to keep going and loving Alex. You are hearing matters lay it down in front of this jury. Bland, I agree with you. Uh, Kelly Skin with me. Fox Nation senior producer John Matters by far exceeded all the other closing arguments. Agree or disagree? I agree. I think he put this case in layman's terms and said, look, this is common sense and don't get distracted by the smoke and mirrors that Dick Harpootlian is so well known for. This is common sense. Alec Murdoch lied about being at the scene and therefore Alec Murdoch is the only logical person that have killed 
could have killed and did have motive to kill Maggie and Paul. And the only person that Alec loved more than Maggie and Paul was Alec. Alex Murdoch loved Alex Murdoch more than anybody else. Go ahead, Bland. I'm telling you the 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 visual that he painted at the end that both Maggie and Paul testified and that Paul had the insurance policy to make sure his father would not lie in infamy about what infamy about what happened in those murders. He did the video and Maggie testified. Yes, I was shot five times, but I made sure those shell casings were next to my body. And then, Bubba, I'm telling you, that's why you and I became lawyers to to feel it from the heart. He talked. He didn't read. He he it was from his bones, Nancy, from his bones. You know, I really admired that about his closing. He was not looking at his notes and flipping pages. He was telling it like it is. And there toward the end, and I want to go uh, to you on this, Dr. Michelle Dupree. One thing he said was that he would still be lying on the ground, hugging his son, trying to bring the son back to life. How could you do that and take pulse and go back and call 911 all in 20 seconds? You've seen, you've been by Moselle. I agree with him, Dr. Michelle Dupree. Nancy, I agree with him also. And, and again, I do not know how at that critical incident, when you are right there the night of the murders, when you're being interviewed, how can you not tell the police everything that you know if you're innocent? You want these people or this person found. And Alex didn't do that. Instead, he made up a lie. You know, that's another thing that John Metters hit, and he hit it hard in our cut 18 exactly what Dr. Michelle Dupree just said. Christine, could you play our cut 18? I find it offensive that the defense, through the defendant, who was also a part-time solicitor, is claiming that law enforcement didn't do their job. Listen to me, please. Didn't do their job while he is withholding and obstructing justice by not saying I was down at the kennels. I was down at the kennels. I was down at the kennels. And he's going to blame everybody else. Is that offensive? Is that offensive? Mr. Griffin said a minute ago, can you imagine coming up on the scene and seeing, can you imagine not telling law enforcement lying that I was down there? And I saw him. I was right there. Why wouldn't you tell him that? Maybe get some more evidence. Did you hear somebody? No, I wasn't even down there. Credibility, believability. That really does sum it up. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, 
LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I'm telling you, the way matters laid it in front of the jury, I do not see how they could turn away from his closing arguments. Uh, also with me, Kelly Skian. Kelly, uh, Fox Nation senior producer, threw out the defense's closing argument. Most of the jurors seemed stoic. They were not really responding to the defense except for one lady that we call the blanket lady because I've seen her pull her blanket up to right here, right here. During the courtroom, you've seen her pull it all the way up over her head. I was very surprised she wasn't taken off the jury when, when that happened. But that said, I saw her nodding up and down vigorously during the defense closing statement. Yeah, I, I saw her as well. It looked like she was hanging on to every single word of those closing arguments by Jim Griffin. Other jurors had their, you know, they were looking stoically at Jim Griffin. I did see one who wasn't even looking at him at all. Um, it's really hard to tell what the jury is thinking at this point, especially after the major shakeup this morning where another juror was dismissed. So they've spent six weeks together and they are just dropping off like flies. And now we have one alternate juror left. To Eric Bland, speaking of the jurors, what is your understanding of what this lady juror did to get thrown off the jury? She uh, evidently told somebody uh, who reported it to Judge Newman that she made up her mind. Now, I don't know whether she said, you know, on innocence or guilt, but it's completely unacceptable. It, it, it is someone who Well, I can totally has... tell you what she said. What did you were she in the say? courtroom with me, Bland, sitting right behind me, because yeah. when they three were off the jury, the state went, okay. And the defense said, well, I don't like it because this and this and blah, blah, blah. Obviously, right. she was pro-defense, or the defense would not have been squawking and clucking about the courtroom when she got thrown off. Correct. I just don't want to impugn somebody's uh, character, but I am upset that you know, well, they, they didn't listen to the <laughs> Wait judge. Wait a minute. You think it's 
You think it's impugning her character that she was pro-defense? No, I'm just saying I don't want to uh, hammer somebody. You know, I, I'm upset that the 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 jurors are not listening to this judge. This judge has given his time. He has been uh, as even temperamental as you can imagine. He hasn't bitten anybody's head off. He hasn't fallen asleep. He hasn't tried to take over the courtroom. You've had judges who take over a courtroom, start asking questions. Um, this guy, uh, from a Solomon-like wisdom standpoint, has been great. Um, and I think, you know, he was joking about the eggs and all. But in his heart, I think he was upset. You know, he doesn't want this jury to be yeah, jeopardized I think any he was further. upset, too. Because we're now, you know, we're now down Nancy, to one alternate. And that's you know, scary. Go ahead, Eric. Nancy, don't forget, two months ago at the Russell Lafitte trial that I was at in federal court, uh, Judge Gergel had to remove two jurors from the deliberations in the middle of deliberations because of the one said that she refused to deliberate any further and another said that she was getting anxious and felt her health was at risk. Listen, that could be what we're going to see in here. And we need 12 jurors. Remember, can't can't compromise and do an 11 person jury in a murder case. It's got to be 12 by the Constitution. Back to Kelly Skeen. Kelly, when the lady juror left, the judge asked her in open court, well, what do you have left in the jury room? And she said, well, my purse and my water. And I brought a dozen eggs in or a dozen eggs for the jury. And he says, OK, to the sheriff, uh, go get that for her. And she said, I want to take my eggs with me. So she took her water, she her did. purse, and her eggs. She's <laughs> so that was a little levity in the courtroom when she wanted to take the eggs back that she had brought for the jurors. But I could tell she was upset, and I could tell the judge does not like losing yet another juror. So she did. She told the judge she left a dozen eggs that she had brought in for the jurors from her farm, her purse, and her water in the chambers, and which she was not allowed to go back into once she was dismissed. She was brought downstairs. I went downstairs. She looked very shaken, almost embarrassed. And I think something that's really important here is she lied about it. When she was asked if she had discussed the case, she said no. And we had to, in effect, have another trial within the trial to get to the bottom of this, where they brought in three different people, got them on the record and said, no, this woman did give an opinion about the case. The judge said, look, I know it's probably really hard to stay away from media coverage for this case, but bottom line is you broke my rules. I can't budge on that. You gotta go. Yeah, I could tell she was embarrassed when she left. Um, guys, another very odd statement was made during the defense closing argument. Attorney Griffin was talking about, uh, was Alex Murdoch still home when his wife and son were murdered? And Griffin says, I don't know. Maybe he was. Okay, that's not a good look for Murdoch being there when Maggie and Paul were murdered. But that is what the defense said. Take a listen to our cut 17. This is defense attorney Griffin arguing to the jury. So we do know from the timeline that, that Alec left the property at, at 907. Were, were they killed before he left? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. But we do know that if he was in the house when the shots were made down at the kennel, that he would not have heard them. Yeah, right. Okay, I've been saving this moment for Joe Scott Morgan, professor of forensics, Jacksonville State University, author of Blood Beneath My Feet and star of Body Bags, the Joe Scott Morgan podcast. Okay, Joe Scott, 
could you believe your ears when you heard the defense place their client at Moselle when his wife and son are murdered at Moselle? Not hear the gunshots, my rear end, of course you could hear those gunshots. Of course you could. You're talking about a high velocity round, multiple high velocity rounds coming out of this uh, 300 blackout. Not to mention if anyone has ever heard the report of a 12-gauge shotgun, not just once, but twice, Nancy. We know that. We have that confirmed. Uh, you got to be living under a rock. And there's no way, acoustically, that you could not appreciate that sound, the crack of that rifle. That rifle, it fires a supersonic round. That means that it breaks the sound barrier as it's exiting that muzzle. There's no way you could not have heard that. And people talk about the distance from the house down to that complex down there. It's not that far away. You could certainly hear the Nancy, you'd smell the gunpowder. There's gun no question. Nancy, it's urban warfare. Yeah. You would smell a little bit of gunpowder, I'm telling you. But even if the defense attorney is arguing, which I think he was trying to, that Murdoch was up in the house area of Moselle, that he would not have heard the gunshots as close as the kennel was to the home. That is just not true. Chris McDonough joining me, director at Cold Case Foundation, former homicide detective, and host of the interview room on YouTube. What about it, Chris McDonough? You know, I think uh, Joe nailed it. Uh, there is no way that if he's down there, which we know he is because the kennel video, that, you know, you have seven shots going off, two from the shotgun and you know, another five from the the AR or the the blackout. Um, you know, that sound travels forever in that area. I mean, I went out there and stood there on the street. It was so quiet in the middle of the day. Uh, it even gets worse at night. And so uh, there's no way he didn't hear those gunshots go off. Nancy. You know, uh, Christine, I want to hold on, Eric. I just want Christine to show something while you're talking. Sure. I want to get... Thank you for the video, number one, Christine. But I'd like to get to where the dog kennel is and the feed room. Just keep playing it because we're going to get to it. Because I don't believe that all of those structures even have walls. Some of them are more like pavilion. Like, right, that's it. See, right there, that's a yeah. pavilion-type atmosphere. And if the gun was fired in that area, there's not even a wall to protect the sound. Now, that is definitely inside right there. Oh, okay, what were you saying, Eric? I have uh, represented homeowners uh, that reside near gun ranges, and we've sued them over public nuisance. I've had two of those cases, and I've had experts come in, and we've had the judge come out and on-site listen to these gunshots go off. Hey, Eric, they look travel. at your screen. Do you see yes. that? That's what I'm talking about. They were not even walled in. Right. And now inside, the right in there, yes. High-powered deer rifle uh, arsenal travels the sound for two miles, Nancy. Two miles. Not just 900 feet, two miles. I was just wondering if any of the jurors actually are falling for the theory that no one would hear the gunshot. I mean, Joe Scott Morgan, I'm not talking about a little 22 talking about a high-powered 300 blackout and a shotgun for Pete's sake. Yeah, I, I can't I can't imagine that they would. And here's something else you kind of have to factor in, Nancy. Where was this jury pulled from? Remember that. We're, we're in a rural area. 
there are a lot of people that possess weapons and have been around weapons. They've been around weapons because a lot of people hunt, Nancy. People are familiar with the sound of weapons. Yes. And, you know, I Good can point. imagine them sitting back That's and scratching right, so their Scott. head thinking, oh, my God, you know, you're saying you couldn't hear that? They've been out there now, Nancy, remember? They took a bus ride yesterday. It's a good point. Guys, I want to hear that one more time. If you don't mind, Christine, could you play that one more time, Our Cut 17? Now, remember, this isn't the state. This is the defense attorney, Griffin, claiming, hey, he could have been there when they were murdered. I, I, did he not understand what he was saying? Take a listen. So we do know from the timeline that, that Alec left the property at, at 907. Were, were they killed before he left? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. But we do know that if he was in the house when the shots were made down at the kennel, that he would not have heard them. Okay, now I want you to hear the response by the state, and this is John Matters arguing in our cut 20. Take a listen to Matters laying it down. Maybe he just got angry. Maybe he got angry at Paul. Maybe he got angry, you know, he started all this with the boat case. And maybe he just lost it. Maybe he just lost it. Maybe it looked like a suicide. And then Maggie came and he had to shoot her. I don't know. Only one person knows. And that's why we've got the motive. That's why we say he did it. But we don't even have to have motive. Just angry. He did it. Nobody else could have done it. Nobody else did do it. I'm going to get to that. And that's how we proved beyond. And of course, it was never overtly argued, Kelly Skin, uh, Fox Nation senior producer, that if he didn't do it, who did? That was not actually argued. But it's really clear from Metter's argument that that's what he's saying. He's the only one that could have done it. I mean, think about it. Who else could have done it, Kelly? These um, spirits, the specter that was on the internet and became angry over the boat crash and then sought vengeance by killing not just Paul, but Paul and Maggie. And wow, darn, Murdoch just missed it by an instant. I mean, according to Metters, <laughs> Murdoch would have had to have passed the killer going down the driveway. I mean, Christine, could you show an aerial of Moselle, that long sweeping driveway that goes up to the home and the kennels and the gunshot range. I guess they passed each other in route, Kelly. Well, yeah, Nancy, and we heard another theory from Jim Griffin today that maybe it was Alex's drug dealer. Maybe Paul Murdoch found the person who was supplying Alec Murdoch's drugs, confronted them, said, please stop selling drugs to my dad. Griffin alleged that this person was part of a very dangerous gang down here, and that gang then retaliated by killing Maggie and Paul. At the same time, if that shooter would have had to know that Maggie and Paul were at the kennels at that exact same time and hope that Alec Murdoch wouldn't find them killing his wife and son. We also heard today Jim Griffin explain away Alec Murdoch's lies as, quote, just misstatements and saying, quote, that 
Alec Murdoch, it's not, it's irrational for him to kill, but throughout this entire trial, we have heard from the defense themselves that Alec Murdoch was irrational because of his addiction. Well, exactly. I want you to listen to cut 14. That is exactly what Kelly Skin just described. Listen. Another curious point in Mr. Waters' uh, closing argument yesterday involves Paul's intuitive talents. You will recall that Alex informed agents that, that Paul was an intuitive little dude. Referred to him as a, a detective. That um, Miriam Proctor, Maggie's sister, said that that um, Maggie referred to Paul as his little detective, her little detective. And in particular when it came to trying to root out whether Alex was still doing drugs. And then he just sort of left it there. For you to then uh, take it and run with it as if Paul must have found Alec using drugs. There must have been a confrontation down there at the kennel. And that must have been what happened. Now he, now he didn't go that far in his argument, but he laid it out there for you to run with. But that was clearly the implication. Let me add another scenario that's equally as plausible. What if Paul the detective learned, learned the source? of drugs that were being sold to his dad. What if Paul the detective goes to that drug source? That's my dad, you're in my family. And if you don't, I'm gonna tell on you, turn you in. A drug gang, I'm going to Nancy. tell on you. Where Nancy. did that come from, Bland? What? Nancy, a drug gang has their own guns, Nancy. They don't come to kill somebody and hope there'll be guns in the house that they could steal and then shoot you with them. They have their own weaponry and they don't use long rifles. They use guns and they come up and they execute you with a handgun. It is preposterous to, post to posture the fact that these people came to kill Paul and Maggie with no guns. That's just insulting. Exactly, Nancy. That's a, that's to, a crazy idea. Go ahead, Dr. Dupree. So, I, I totally agree with Eric Bland. That That's a crazy idea. In addition, if you'll remember one of the interviews, Alex actually said, no, no one else was here. He was asked, were the dogs misbehaving as if there was an unknown person or persons around? He said, no, no, they were not. What does that tell you? Nancy, there's one more and salient point here. Go ahead, dear. Yeah. yeah, there's one more point here. Remember what matters when he was bringing down the thunder in his closing there. He mentioned he mentioned that the FBI had gotten involved helping SLED. This, what you're implying, not you, but what they're implying here is that this is an organized crime event relative to, the FBI is already involved. They would have, they would have sussed this out. They would have gotten the DEA involved in this as well. There's been no evidence of that. So. That, that's something that, uh, you know, as they say in the lowlands, that dog won't hunt. Guys, I there, want you to take another a listen to our <laughs> cut. Oh, yeah, I want to hear it. Go ahead, Chris. She'll lay it out there and let them run with it, was the word of the day. Uh, because Alex has been doing that from day one. Uh, and remember the interview in the car where he introduced the idea of the cat and or I may have seen them come onto the property. I'm not really sure about that. Uh, so this this narcot this narcotic hit now uh, is just uh, again uh, another fabrication. Guys, I was waiting for the defense to address the big lie, the big lie about why he lied. 
that very night, not when he was paranoid or afraid of SLED, but in the 911 call, Alex Murdoch had already formulated a lie, removing himself from the dog kennels. Kelly Skeen, I, I really thought you were going to fall off your seat in the courtroom when defense attorney Griffin said he lied to avoid scrutiny on himself. Describe that moment, Kelly. I mean, it's just unbelievable. He lied to avoid media scrutiny and then or he, he lied and then in turn found himself in the middle of media scrutiny and a murder investigation. It just doesn't make sense. And it's yet another example of the ever evolving story from Alec Murdoch's defense team of what happened that night. Was he home? Was he not home? What what is their story here? I don't even know if the jury is following, but all they really have to do is plant that one seed of reasonable doubt. And I do think that that's their strategy. Confusion. Take a listen to our cut one. They didn't have this kennel video until April of 2022 when Paul's phone was finally unlocked and that changed everything. Opportunity. Being at the scene of the crime when the murders occurred. And more importantly, exposing the defendant's lies about the most important thing he could have told law enforcement. When was the last time I saw my wife and child alive. Why in the world would an innocent, reasonable father and husband lie about that? And lie about it so early? And he could always say, well, Rogan must be mistaken. I'm surprised. Not if my times are right, was what he said. Why would he even think to lie about that if he were an innocent man? Okay, now here is how the defense countered that. Their response to the big lie in our cut 12. Listen carefully to how they explain it away in closing arguments. Listen. We're left with the lie. Now, Alex lied about being down at the kennels. And frankly, I probably wouldn't be sitting over there right now if he had not lied. And he told you why he lied. He said he lied because that's what addicts do. He lied because he had a closet full of skeletons that he didn't want any more uh, scrutiny on him, which is the most ironic thing in the world because depending on which day of the week, their theory is that he slaughtered his wife and son to distract from an impending financial investigation. But he puts himself in the middle of a murder investigation and he puts himself in the spotlight of a media firestorm. That's their motive evidence. He lied because of his drug paranoia kicked in, and he was clearly in the throes of addiction. What he didn't lie for is because he was covering up the fact that he killed Maggie and Paul. Joe Scott Morgan, professor of forensics, you and I have seen a lot of cases. But to say a loving husband and a loving father, of course the jury not never got to hear about the affair he had behind Maggie's back. But that every time they said in court today about how much he loved Maggie and how he worshipped Maggie and adored Maggie, all I could think about was him having that affair and how upset she was till the day she died about that. But that said, Joe Scott Morgan to say, I lied about the last time I saw my child and wife alive to avoid scrutiny on myself. I mean, did the jury get that, do you think? 
how ridiculous that is? Uh, yeah, it is absurd. And, and this idea, Nancy, where they're falling back, you know, that he's an addicted person, that he's literally a junkie. And this has come down. It's come down to this now. <laughs> this is your defense. This is the best that you have. You're saying that he's so addled at this point in time. He has no perception of what's going on. And, uh, you know, either it's one way or it's another. Correct. Is this what you're saying? So, so you being addicted has led to all of these lies, but yet it's a bridge too far to think that, yeah, you may have gone in there and slaughtered your family. Okay, well, you know, you've got lie after lie after lie. And look, they have talked about that they don't have to prove motive. You've taught me that over all of these years. I know that they don't. But when you begin to piece this together, point by point by point on this continuum, it's powerful stuff. And it comes to this conclusion at the end they're staring everybody in the face certainly that jury is they're going to go back into that uh, into that little room together and Nancy, hey guys i want to hear it Nancy. one more time go ahead dr dupree so we're forgetting something alex never thought he would get caught that's one reason he lied he never thought he'd be caught he is too smart to get you know, caught. you're leading me to another point dr dupree no matter where i have been at the mexican restaurant last night at um in the lobby of the hotel where we're staying, here at the courthouse, I mean, at Walmart, every the gas station, everywhere I have been, somebody comes up and says, I'm from Carlton County. My dad knew this one, my sister this, my cousin, all connected to the Murdochs. They have run this county for a hundred years. I don't know if they're gonna run this jury too, but you're right, Dr. Dupree, he never thought he would get caught. He never knew that his voice was captured on that video. That video is damning. I want you to hear, again, the defense trying to explain why he gave the big lie. And I was writing in the courtroom, <laughs> the defense explanation falls flat on the big question. Listen to Cut 12. We're left with the lie. Alex lied about being down in the kennels. And frankly, I probably wouldn't be sitting over there right now if he had not lied. And he told you why he lied. He said he lied because that's what addicts do. He lied because he had a closet full of skeletons. That he didn't want any more uh, scrutiny on him, which is the most ironic thing in the world because depending on which day of the week, their theory is that he slaughtered his wife and son to distract from an impending financial investigation. But he puts himself in the middle of a murder investigation, and he puts himself in the spotlight of a media firestorm. That's their motive evidence. He lied because of his drug paranoia kicked in, and he was clearly in the throes of addiction. What he didn't lie for is because he was covering up the fact that he killed Maggie and Paul. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real, live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. (laughs) I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's kid-safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. You know, back to you, Joe Scott Morgan. Let's talk about something that you and Dr. Dupree, uh, it's your expertise. Let's talk about blood. Because I realized for the first time when John Metters said it, that that's water I hear running in the background of that video. And he argued to the jury that right there, Alex Murdoch used that hose to clean himself up totally. Not in the shower in the lodge at Moselle, but right there. And you do hear the water in the background of that video. Yeah, I think that that's potentially plausible. Uh, you, you go into this idea of cleaning. You know, I've, I've held, you know, one of the things I couldn't get past in this when you were talking, when people were talking about the house and this sort of thing, why didn't they take out the drain traps in the house to look for tissue? I'm not talking about blood. I'm talking about actual tissue because think about how violent Paul's death was. And we've already heard about tissue. And I'm thinking, you know, that's one of the things we do at crime scenes. We take drain traps out. We look for bits of tissue and that sort of thing. Hadn't heard anything about that, but out there, at that kennel, if you're rinsing off with a hose, there, there wouldn't be any drain traps to take apart. I'm wondering how well they searched that area, if there was anything particulate that they found out there that could be associated with him being present for that blast, essentially. You know, because Paul was in a very enclosed area. It wasn't kind of outside where Maggie was shot. So that tissue right. being dispersed upon him, it would have left something behind. You know, another thing that happened, and I'd really like to hear Dr. Dupree weigh in on this. In the final closing with John Metters, he discussed how really the state is damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. He described the blood evidence that was tested on Murdoch's shirt, the one he was wearing, not the one that disappeared forever, but the one that he was wearing. At the beginning, it seemed initially that there were blood spatter. There was blood spatter on there. When it turned out that it was not, and that makes perfect sense because he changed into a clean shirt, the state did not try to present that. But then at trial, in closing arguments, the defense turned it around to pretend that 
the state had somehow misappropriated that evidence and used it against the defense. So they're damned if they make the test and then they're damned if they don't bring that evidence in at trial. Right, Nancy. And again, you know, this is why we do something. We do a presumptive test first and then a confirmatory test. And I'm not sure how this information got mixed up, um, but it did. And, you know, that's not a good thing. But the, the point is, you know, Alex could very easily have cleaned up right there with that hose at that time. You've already heard testimony that he has clothes all over. What if he had a change of clothes in his car and he cleaned up right then? It would be very easy to do. There had been witnesses that even said that he looked like he'd, he was fresh. He had a shower. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense. Well, the defense attacks the state, as I always describe it, when you've got nowhere to go and you're like a feral animal trapped in the corner, you have to lash out. You have to blame somebody. So who are they going to blame? A drug gang? Uh, a phantom killer? A random vigilante? None of that's really sticking, so you know what? Don't look here. Look here. Blame SLED. Blame law enforcement. It's all their fault. Take a listen in our cut 10 how the defense claims that SLED, quote, failed miserably. On June 7th, 2021, Alec Murdoch called 911 and Officer Deputy Green and then followed by other deputies rolled up on the scene and he is standing on his property. His wife and son lie dead in a pool of blood each. He's within yards of him and he and just put shotgun down. So he's in the circle by virtue of calling 911. And that's fair enough. What doesn't strike us as, as fair is that the next morning on June the 8th, after the gruesome murders of Maggie and Paul, Collin County and Sled that says, at this time, there's no danger to the public. Does that tell you that on June 8th, law enforcement had decided it had to be Alec Murdoch. A Ford, he is at the mercy. He is at the mercy of the ability of SLED to exclude him from that circle. We believe that we've shown conclusively that SLED failed miserably in investigating this case. You know what, Chris McDonough, former homicide detective, now star of the interview room on YouTube, that's just part of the deal. That comes with the package of being in law enforcement, being a prosecutor. You are going to be attacked and you are going to be blamed no matter how well you do your job. Look, there is, in every case I tried that went up on appeal, I didn't have a single one where I wasn't accused of prosecutorial misconduct. At the first maybe 10 or 12 times, I would be so upset, I took it so personally. Then I got, I, I figured it out. An older prosecutor in the office said, that happens on every appeal. It's not about you. That's what they do, and that's what's happening here. I mean, Chris McDonough, have you ever been accused of misconduct? Oh, absolutely, uh, Nancy. I mean, I've worked yeah. over 300 murders in my career, and you know, 299 of them are perfect. And then there's that one, right, where you get uh, hung out to dry here. 
I mean, I think for the very first time, uh, Alec is being held accountable. Uh, and unfortunately, they're, the only tactic they can use is to blame the other guy, i.e. SLED and the investigators and the, and the system as a whole. But um, I, think, I think the system's going to work here. Uh, I love the state seal in Latin where it says, while I breathe, I hope. Wow, that really hit home. Because just talking about it, Joe Scott Morgan, um, death investigator, you've been on so many homicide scenes. I mean, what was the state supposed to do? They see the T-shirt. It looks like there are blood spatters, very pinpoint spatters near the top. They have it tested. They were wrong. It wasn't blood. So they didn't use it. What are they supposed to do? Not test it because they might be wrong? No, you have to test it. As a matter of fact, you have to exhaust every possible avenue that you have as an investigator. From a forensic standpoint, you collect everything that there is. And I don't care how long it takes. You know, I've worked cases where we, we rode away from the scene with van loads. And I'm talking about multiple van loads of evidence uh, where that have to be tested. You have to pursue everything. The biggest disappointment, I think, that I have in this case is this absence of weapons, though. But I, I think that there's an answer okay. to that question, Nina. Uh, I, I find it fascinating when they, they talk about him going to his parents' home, uh, you know, after after the fact, you know, a week or so later, and he's taken out a four-wheeler or something like this. I'm wondering how thoroughly all of these properties have been examined. I'm wondering if there are old wells on these properties where those weapons could have been disposed of. Are they sitting at the bottom of an old abandoned well? Is there some other place they haven't looked? Those weapons are out there somewhere. They didn't just vaporize. So that's that's my one big thing. And I think that that's one of the biggest hurdles that that jury's gonna have to overcome. People want to see a weapon. And that's gonna be one of the biggest, uh, biggest sticking points. You know, Dr. Michelle Dupree, uh, we have gone and we've driven all around Moselle looking at how vast the property is. I think that one day, maybe not in our lifetime, but one day, somebody will find those weapons. They're out there waiting to be found. They've been hidden somewhere that only one person knows. And he's not talking, Dr. Dupree. I think you're right, Nancy. I mean, this is 1,700 acres. Much of it is swamp. I mean, they could be literally anywhere. And you're right, there is only one person that knows where they are. Dr. Dupree, I was just talking about with Chris McDonough, how many times uh, when a defendant has nowhere to go, nothing to argue, they begin blaming the cops. The cops did this, the cops did that. Hey, it worked in O.J. Simpson. The jury actually fell for it. As a medical examiner, I mean, I was thinking about Dr. Reamer, who did such a fantastic job and was just really just burning brilliant. It just oozed out of her. But I could see her getting upset and defensive when she was being attacked. That doesn't feel good for anybody in law enforcement. When you give it your all and then you're accused of uh, misconduct or doing a sloppy job. What, did they want the state not to test the shirt? Because now they're getting reamed out because the shirt was negative and the state didn't bring it in. Nancy, I think this is really a great example of what we call that CSI effect. And I saw it when I was a detective and I've seen it as a medical examiner. The jury watches TV and they expect everything to work the way it does on television. And it just doesn't. 
every time I testify, nearly every time, I look straight at the jury and I say, this is how it's really done. It's not like on TV. And then I proceed to explain what the real situation is. We also saw Kelly Skian, the attack on police saying that they identified Murdoch as a suspect at the beginning. And I remember right at the beginning when SLED released a statement, Kelly, and you and I talked about it at the time, stating the public is not in danger. And you and I said, wow, they must think it's Murdoch. So that part is true. But on the other hand, you've got two people single out in a remote location, killed execution style, riddled with bullets, no rape, no sex attack, no robbery. So they were singled out. They were targeted. And because the victims were targeted, that means that the general population is not at risk. But you know, the defense did have a heyday with that, with that big, huge poster of the press release saying the public is safe. Don't worry. Remember that in closing arguments? I remember that. And I have a list of the things that SLED would have to manufacture here. So they would have to manufacture the fact that these murders were done with family weapons. They would have to manufacture Alec's own alibi. And they would have to manufacture the fact that Alec lied about turning over the bodies before calling 911. So Another thing I think that we're also seeing here is Alec Murdoch's influence in this town is actually helping the defense possibly. We even heard that while the police had a search warrant that they could execute at Moselle to search the house, they didn't do that. They offered to put the badge away. So I think his influence impacting the investigation is actually possibly helping the defense here because they are using that to paint SLED as sloppy. And, and of course the defense Nancy. hammered the theory. Go ahead, doctor. So. Again, every time we have such a targeted hit like this, which is what this was, yes, the, the person who finds them or who calls 911 is going to be someone that we're going to be interested in. And just because we believe that the public is no longer at risk doesn't mean that we are singling out and having what we call tunnel vision, uh, only looking at one suspect. You can have that, but still not just focus on one. Nancy, can I add some clarity course, to that as well? Sure, please do. With do. With Dr. Dupree is talking about. So that's what we call the victim risk continuum. And what that means is if you take an L for an example, and on this side you have environment, situation, circumstance, then you have low, medium, or high risk activity. If everything starts going to the low risk based on the environment, situation, and circumstance, that means this was a targeted event, i.e. the statistics tell us that this individual who committed these crimes is familiar with these victims and knew and had some type of you know, a relationship with the victim. If you go to the other spectrum, then that is an, a, a stranger event. So everything told these investigators that night that it was definitely somebody close to that environment. And that's where they came up with the terminology within the circle. Guys, I want you to hear where the defense will not let go, and I completely understand it, the theory of two shooters. Take a listen to our cut, 16. You know, the most common sense thing here is there were two shooters. Because there were two guns. And as um, Mr. Palmbach said, one gun is high capacity. Holds 10, 20, 30 rounds. And if you're going down to execute somebody, one gun's enough. 
Why take another gun that only has three shots? It, it's and and Dr. Kinsey agreed with the angle coming out of the bird, the quail pen, so that the angle puts it pretty far away from the door of the feed room where Paul's killed. But it's not our burden. It's not our burden. It's their burden to prove to you, based on circumstantial evidence, that all the circumstances are consistent with each other and point conclusively to the defendant's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And those facts are just not consistent. Joe Scott Morgan, what do you make of the two-shooter theory? Well, I think that uh, one of the things that they're arguing here is, and I, certainly I've thought about it, is that why in the world would you employ two long arms? You know, in the military, you carry a primary weapon like an M4 carbine, and you have a sidearm. And you see our troops transition. You see law enforcement do this as well from one to one. I think that their promising reconstructionists that they had, uh, they being the defense, argued that it would be very cumbersome. Actually, it's not. Uh, if the individual is wearing what's referred to as a tactical sling on this 300 blackout, you could chest carry that very easy and still operate this 12 gauge. Also, he's got control over this property. He can sequester weapons anywhere he wants to and utilize them. Here's the, here's the rub for the defense, and they're not addressing this, is that if you want to try to make something look like that there are two shooters, why not employ two weapons that would give you the thought that, hey, you know, we've got two weapons that are very difficult to manage uh, technically. You have to bring them to your shoulder to fire them. It seems rather cumbersome. Well, it's the perfect scenario for that. So, you know, you, you have to calculate all of this again. I think the jury, I don't know at this point, you, you had mentioned how you understand why they're pursuing it. And I understand that, too, because if there's one point that the jury could potentially hang up on, it's going to be the two-shooter theory. Is it possible that this could have that this could have been perpetrated by one person? And it can be difficult to prove. Exactly, Nancy. And remember, you know, I think that this is Alex's attempt at what we call forensic countermeasures. He knows he's very smart. He knows that this is going to potentially throw off the investigation, and that is exactly why someone would do that. Well, I always uh, compare it to you have a fork in one hand and a knife in the other. Nobody has a problem with that. An experienced shooter will have no problem with two guns, especially if you employ a sling. And seasoned hunters use slings. They don't tromp through the woods holding the guns in their hands. They use a sling. I find it very hard to believe that Murdoch didn't have a sling. I want you to hear what I thought was possibly one of the strongest arguments by the state and its final close today. It's our cut 22 and of everything I have heard in the courtroom from the beginning. Metter's closing was by far the best, hands down. Take a listen to our cut 22. You know, something else I don't understand. Your wife and your son have just been killed, and you're worried about having a lawyer around? And I said, well, you know, just sled agents. We need to have a lawyer around. Really? My wife and son have just been butchered, and I'm worried about having a lawyer. From the alibis that he's created, that he's doing. And he says, I went and ran. I got on my knees over here. Went and ran, and I tried to take the pulse of Paul. I'd still be on the ground, I'll get my son. 
and I, I tried to turn him over. I kept trying to check his pulse. Really? I went to Maggie, checked her pulse. And you can't do that in 20 seconds. Wow. You know what? Uh, to you, Chris McDonough, that says it all. The way he laid that out about if he found his son lying there dead, what he would do. Yeah, Nancy, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, I, I come from living in it, um, you know, with authenticity. I, as you know, I lost my son who was 20 years old. And I can't tell you what it felt like that day. But I can tell you this, I didn't call a lawyer, nor would I ever call a lawyer at that moment. And he not only called one, he called his firm. He had a firm of lawyers show up that night at the death of his family. Um, I, I, I think he nailed it in the closing. I gotta tell you something, Chris. I thought I knew it all about grief and mourning when my fiance was murdered shortly before our wedding. But now that I have John, David, and Lucy, I agree with you. I, I don't think I could even think about calling a lawyer after seeing my child lying there dead. Um, straight back out to you, Kelly Skeen. I think at that moment, the courtroom just came to a stop when Matters made that argument. I, I agree. And I think also the fact that up until this point, we have heard how gruesome these injuries are. So Alec Murdoch saw his own son's brain on the ground and then decided to still check for a pulse. I think a lot of this stuff is just not adding up. And more ironic, seeing his son like that and then thinking, wow, I better call a lawyer. I don't want scrutiny on me, so I'll just lie about it. Uh-uh. So much Nancy, has happened I in this courtroom behind me. Go ahead. Go ahead, Joe Scott. Nancy, I gotta, called the lawyers. Yeah, I got to tell you, one of, one of the things that absolutely has amazed me about this whole this whole process that no one has really talked about relative to Alec. We've heard about how powerful his family is. I want to know why on the day after he wasn't standing out on those court steps and there would have been an endless bank of microphones in front of him with cameras, people that he had summoned with all of this power that this family is supposed to have, that he would have been slobbering and crying and wailing, begging for people to come forward Help me solve this double homicide where my family has been butchered. Remember, he witnessed this the night before. That's not what happened. I never saw that. I never saw anybody screaming at the top of their lungs, getting up on the rooftops and shouting out, where in the world is this killer? They're running around the, the countryside out here. We've never had anything like this happen. Where's the horror? Where's the terror? You know, where where is it? Because I got to tell you, my family, I'd want blood. I would want them. I would want that person. I would want to drag them through the streets in the city. I would want to know that my community was safe and that I, I was going to have justice for my wife and my son. That never happened. Guys, the judge is about to charge this jury with the law by which they are to judge the facts of the case. This will be the judge reading the black and white letter of the law. And then this jury finally begins jury deliberations. Thank you for being with us. We're headed straight back into the courtroom for the jury charges. Goodbye, friend.
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free at 